This is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. We come to you from Franklin, Tennessee. Welcome to the studio today. Michael's sitting right alongside, and you have a look on your face of anticipation here today. I'm excited. We have some good friends that we're going to talk to today. Makoto Fujimura is someone I admire so much. He's going to help us to understand how we can interact with art. Uh, as believers. Uh, that's going to be great. A little bit later, we'll talk with Ken Geyer. As a matter of fact, in a few moments. And then still later, we're going to hear about the work of Operation Mobilization. Yes, we have a wee Irishman that's going to mm. talk to us. Andrew Scott huh. from Opera- Operation Mobilization. You've been to Ireland, haven't you? Oh, a million times. Really? A million times. In fact, this is an interview that we did. We played hooky. You weren't here yet. <laughs> My plane had not touched down yet. That's and right. And you decided to proceed without I me. Said, so. I said, let's see if this well, can we'll, work. We'll just see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sure it went just fine. We'll hear that in the second half of the program today. I've been looking at some of the email in the last few minutes here that's come in. Uh, This comes from Jim, who says, Michael, when I first thought about a Bible study in the studio, I have to admit I didn't think it would be as challenging as some other programs. Ouch. (laughs) But I've been very impressed with your Bible study part of the programs. I can tell that the Holy Spirit has revealed some tremendous truths to you. One study he refers to, he says, I wondered at first where it would go, but boy, when you finished it, just completely revealed the concept of being a friend of Jesus mm. and how that defines us. So mm. a good word of affirmation from Jim. Yeah, there. that's an encouraging word. Yeah. And then uh, Mark writes from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, listening to WRMB. He says, I always enjoy listening to the program after Sunday night services. I really appreciate Michael's great choice of words for the song lyrics and the themes that come Right out of the Bible. Well, wow. he's, he's, he understands yeah, good encouragement. your ministry very well. Good Can I read one more? Sure. This comes from Regina, who is originally from Kenya in Africa, lives in Baltimore now. And this is very interesting. She says, Michael, greetings in the name of our God. We serve a great God. I read the thank you note on the CD of Fragile Stone, and I'd like to thank your wife, Susan, for creating an environment for my growth through you. Hmm. Uh, I can't remember what you wrote on that, but apparently something about Susan. Well, that that is so uh, insightful. And that's such an encouragement to Susan, because right now, the the fact that we can spend three days, uh, you and me and Joe, uh, making uh, radio programs, uh, Susan basically takes everything upon herself, and, mm-hmm. and uh, we couldn't do it if it wasn't for Susan Card. We so. tie you up in the studio, and that's listeners right. like Regina then have the benefit of uh, of hearing you on the radio, and your teaching, your music. And, so. and it always amazes me that people that are sensitive enough and considerate enough to remember uh, Susan's part in all this. So thank you, Regina. Yes, that was thanks very kind. to all of you who have written, and I'll give the email address a bit later in the program if you'd like to send us your own note. And I guess we need to show that to Susan, too. <laughs> yeah, all right, we'll do that. <laughs> hey, um, we're going to open the Word together here in just a few moments, but I'm going to ask you to sing a song for us called mm-hmm. Living Stones. Yeah, this is from the uh, the project on Simon Peter, and uh, this comes from for me, an, an amazing passage in First Peter 2, where Simon Peter, who's been given this unique title by Jesus, the rock, is so humble and so gracious that he extends that title to us and invites mm-hmm. us to become living stones. We are living stones. Well, joining us in the studio is Kenneth Cook, who sings this song with you. Kenny, a good friend and a good brother. Right, so listen to both these men now. Living stones, living stones, we are holy living stones. Your 
became a stumbling block. We remember we are living stones. We remember we are living stones. From the CD of Fragile Stone, that is the song Living Stones, Michael Card and Kenneth here in the studio together today. Speaking of Ken's, we have another Ken mm. on the line with us, a good friend of yours, someone that we both have read a lot of his work and appreciate a great deal. Yeah, we last saw each other up at the Navigators uh, Retreat Center. Uh, so, uh, Ken Geyer, uh, welcome. Thank you, Michael. Thank yeah. you, Wayne. It's great to be here. Ken has written many, many books, and most recently a book that takes the work of Michelangelo and talks about con- be- becoming conformed to the image of Christ ourselves as that uh, that sculpture was created by Michelangelo. Michael, you gave me this book. You remember yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. well, I bought, a, I bought a whole box of these books. It was uh, it impacted me so deeply and, and sent it out to all my friends. So uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad to be on that list. Yeah, Thank you yeah, very you're, much. You're on the friends list. <laughs> Ken, we appreciate yeah. what you've done so much. And we want to talk about what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ uh, here. We're going to open the scriptures together today. Great. The example of uh, Michelangelo and carving the Pieta and how um, uh, God takes us as living stones and, and uh, chips away everything that isn't of him hmm. is, is the metaphor that the book is really based on, isn't it, Ken? It is, and I, I talk about the difference between becoming a Christian and becoming conformed to the image of Christ. Hmm. Becoming a Christian, I use the image of the block of stone being separated at the quarry from the mountain, and at that point the person becomes a Christian. But that is only the beginning of the work that God does in us, uh, which is a lifetime work of His, to take that rough-hewn stone and create uh, His magnum opus, His great mm. work, uh, mm. uh, and making us, conforming us into the image of His Son. We'll talk about it a bit this week here in the studio with Ken Geyer and Michael Card, and then we're going to invite Ken to join us again next week to talk further about this. But I want our listeners to, if possible, read the book. Mm -hmm. Um, Michael, when you gave me that copy, I read it uh, cover to cover and couldn't put it down. I read it in one sitting, but Mm -hmm. it also is the kind of book that you kind of go back to in a meditative sort of way and, mm-hmm. and think about. So I, I, w- I want to recommend that to our listeners. Well, Ken, let's talk about that process. Um, and take us to the Scriptures, if you would. Yes. Uh, first of all, I, th- I think <clears throat> the Scripture I would turn you to first is Jeremiah 18. Um, um, oh, about verses 1 through 4. Uh, all right. Or, well, we have... Or our... one, 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 maybe 1 through 6. Okay, we have our Bibles open right here. Michael, do you want to read that sure. passage? Jeremiah 18. The Lord gave me another message to Jeremiah. He said, Go down to the shop where clay pots and jars are made. I will speak to you while you are there. So I did as he told me and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So the potter squashed the jar into a lump of clay and started again. Then the Lord gave me this message, O Israel, can I not do to you as the potter has done to this clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. It's a great passage. I I love the passage because it shows how God speaks sometimes through works of art. Mm. Uh, The Scripture, some people uh, have have grown up in a tradition believing that God only speaks through the Scriptures, when the Scriptures, in fact, uh, say that God speaks through a number of ways, through... um, the prophets, through nature, uh, and in this particular instance, through uh, a work of art. Mm. And I think that's what I I love so much about it, that God humbles himself to speak to us uh, in a diversity of ways, in ways that some people are are more verbal learners, other people are more visual learners, and he humbles himself to, instead of making everybody learn the same way, he humbles himself to speak to us oftentimes in a language that communicates most uh, clearly to us and most poignantly to us. In this particular case, it's uh, through the potters. It's amazing. In the Jeremiah story, he he speaks through a failed piece of art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that's great because, um, you know, that happened to fit his, uh, his purpose as the image mm. of the failed piece of art. Mm. But there's something else there, too, in that he remakes there's there's the second chance. There's mm-hmm. the the remaking in in his image, mm-hmm. and that I find that interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, what you see all through the scriptures, God's uh, relentless pursuit of this beautiful work of art, the, the image that he has in his mind of, of the Lord Jesus and uh, tirelessly at work in our lives. Philippians 1 says, um, that it, it, 1, 1, 6 says, uh, I'm convinced that he who has begun a good work in you uh, will perfect it, will bring mm-hmm. it to perfection and won't give up. Mm-hmm. And uh, no matter how much we fail, uh, no matter how the statue, the image gets marred, he is in the midst of all things working them together for that one great good of being conformed to the image of Christ. And this piece of art is never finished, is it? <laughs> no, not until we at last see him face to face, the scriptures say, when we will be just like him. And that's that's part of the pain. I mean, that's it's not always easy to be the clay, huh? Uh, no. <laughs> in my experience, <laughs> to put it tritely, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, and probably you know, in all uh, due respects and fairness to the artist, it hasn't been easy for him as well. Mm-hmm. As you spent time looking at those uh, pictures of the Pieta, uh, how did you see that working out in Michelangelo's experience? Well, I thought it was interesting how it all came about. I was doing some research and and got a, a number of books from Interlibrary Loan and came across this book, just of photographs, um, by Robert Hupka, H-U-P-K-A. And uh, he was commissioned uh, to take pictures of this, photographs of the sculpture for the 1964 World's Fair. And uh, he took thousands and just from all different angles and all different lightings. And the book is a collection of 150 of those. And uh, I was just taken by seeing Christ from all these different angles and these different lightings and, and Mary and and the effect that that had on my life when I, I think I entered into his sufferings and saw, you know, not only his sufferings, but the sufferings of his mother in a way that I had not uh, before. And it was the um, uh, the sculpture that, that, that did that and mm-hmm. seeing uh, how, and then I began to read about the process of how he did that and how uh, tenacious he was and how tirelessly he worked on this great work of art. And it just reminded me how God is doing the same thing uh, in our lives, both individually and corporately as a church, uh, trying to make his son visible to the to the world. And uh, anyway, I was, I was just quite take, taken by it and realized this, this is the Christ that God wants to make out of me. Not necessarily the Christ who is the teacher, or Christ the prophet, or Christ the healer, or Christ the defender of the faith, but Christ the sacrifice, Christ the servant, the one who withheld nothing in his love for uh, the world. Hmm. Ken, it's a wonderful image to think of the Pieta at one time being, you know, drawn from the quarry just as a lump of stone, and then this beautiful piece of art that has stood the you know through the ages now to to be the result of that and to equate that with our lives you know that's a wonderful image of of what's going on and and that's what you write about in this book well and i think the once you realize the work that god is doing in your life then a lot of things make sense Mm -hmm. and it's really easy to cooperate with god we can endure almost anything if we think that there is a purpose Mm -hmm. to it and Mm -hmm. particularly a higher purpose Mm -hmm. Speaking of that, um, I see on the list of Scripture here that we talked about ahead of time that you want to take us to Romans 8.28. I think that probably is the where sure. we should go next, don't you? Yeah, maybe if uh, Michael would read uh, 8.28 uh, and 29 as well. Okay, and this is from the New Living Translation that Michael has in mm-hmm. hand here. 8.28 and 29. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God, who knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. And I I think what I love about that passage, one is to see um, the redemptive work of God in our lives, that no matter what happens in our lives, he is in the midst of, of, of it all, and bringing good out of it, bringing beauty out of it the way that an artist does. And I think for a long time, I thought the good was uh, something to be equated with good in the context of North America living in uh, in the 20th century, of 
that if this house, the contract on this house didn't go through, that means God had a better house for us. Mm-hmm. Or if, um, you know, this thing didn't happen, there's something better for you. And I, I began to look at that not as the isolated verse, but when I took a step back and saw it in conjunction with verse 29, I realized that contextually the good is the image of Christ. We we're predestined to become conformed to that image is the way the New American Standard uh, translate that. That is our destiny, and that's the work that God is doing hmm. through the here and now circumstances of our life, and uh, and that's the good that he, he's working for. Uh, and uh, to me, I, I take tremendous uh, rest in that, I think, as the, um, as the stone, realizing that I'm in the artist's hands, and no matter what comes at me, what, um, what abrasions, uh, whatever brokenness comes my way through whatever hands, whether that is through the hands of the enemy or whether that is through the hands of other people or just the wear and tear of life coming at you, that he is in the midst of it all shaping and polishing and bringing beauty out of it. And the beauty is not just my most beautiful self, but the most beautiful self that is his son. So Michael Michelangelo's analogy, he he believed that he would take the stone and essentially free uh, the 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 image that was inside the the stone. So God is sort of doing the same thing in us. In us, there is this image of Christ, and He is freeing that image mm. by chipping away everything that isn't of Christ or isn't like Christ. Yes, I think I think so. Uh, I, I think the comment that Michelangelo made was that I saw the angel in the marble. And I carved until I set him free. Mm. And I think when, when God looks at us, he sees the image of Jesus that he wants to perfect in our lives and just chips away everything that isn't Jesus and, uh, you know, chips away at the stubborn stone of the self and still, until the beauty of his son begins to emerge. Mm-hmm. Ken, as Michael was reading Romans eight twenty eight and 29 there, I was thinking how often we've heard this and how often it's been quoted and mis, you know, contextualized and misused, frankly. Uh, but to hear it in this context is, is refreshing. Mm. To hear that in the midst of suffering, uh, and it doesn't deny that you know, suffering is a part of life, and in the midst of that, that all this is ultimately going to work out for God's good and for His glory. Yes, I think that's what, exactly what James says in James 1, where he says... Um, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And the word perfect there is not in, in terms of necessarily of, of moral perfection, or, but it means uh, mature, to, to bring into the, the, its fullness uh, of its artistic expression, the fullness of its maturity. And I believe that is the image of Christ. And he says... That we should, I think the Phillips translation says, to, to welcome trials as your friend yes. uh, hmm. in, in, into your That's life hard. because That's they're really so assisting God. They're tools in the process of shaping us. Oh, we, we, we don't like that. We don't like to hear that, but that's the no. truth. The other thing I'm thinking, Ken, is that this process of this chipping, that taking away everything that isn't Jesus um, in our lives, that process is a testimony to the world in and of itself. The, the image that we're projecting of Christ to this world. I think so. I, I think um, when the world sees us responding to the trials and suffering of life and sees us to submit to those, mm-hmm. the way that the Lord Jesus submitted, um, you know, who for the joy before him endured the cross, uh, when we realize that there is an... Uh, and, and, and they see our lives and they realize how can these people go through this and endure this, and it's because uh, we see within that the end result. We see the joy set before us. We see a finished product, and we see the work that he's uh, aiming for and trying to accomplish in our lives. And then once we realize that, it's easier to cooperate with him. Speaking of what we're aiming for, Michael, let's turn to Philippians chapter 2, which is on Ken's list of Scripture here. Uh, Ken, what verses should we focus on? Oh, for lunch is at verse 3 and go through verse 8. This is what we're shooting for right here, isn't it? Michael, will you read this? Again, this is from the New Living Translation. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. 
Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too, and what they are doing. Your attitude should be the same that Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. Now, I think I, I, when I read that, I, what I see is, what I hear is, is that we are to model our life after the life of Jesus. Don't merely look out for your own interest, but also for the interests of others. Put other people uh, before yourself in, in humility. And the basis for that imperative uh, is the image of Christ. It says, have the same attitude that Christ had, uh, who became, and though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He said, that's how you're to live your life, empty yourself. And uh, to me, it's uh, when I always come back to that, uh, that, that idea of emptying myself and serving someone else, putting someone else before me in humility, um, it's amazing how that eliminates so much conflict and tension when you take the self off of the uh, the, the, the center uh, of your life and the motivation for why you do things. And uh, and I, I think Michelangelo's sculpture, for me, uh, makes that, those words visible. And so I look at that and I say, oh, I understand. This is how I do respond to this person. Hmm. This is what I am to give. This is the limits of what I am to give, which is a love that knows no limits. And I don't think we would have ever have been able to to get it until we had first seen it lived out in the life of Jesus. That's right. Um, it, it's so extraordinarily difficult to understand <clears throat> this kind of life of completely subjugating yourself to another human being, whether that's in marriage or whether that's in church, uh, and and serving and submitting uh, as we should, it says, to the elder of the church or submitting to one another. Um, that this whole idea of submission, uh, which is the key to probably uh, twelve or thirteen different levels of relationships in the in the New Testament, that we had, we saw how to do that the way Jesus lived his life. Mm. Uh, not just, you know, in serving people when he says, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for, mm. for many. And then we see him washing the disciples' feet, and then we see him giving his life. And so all of a sudden we get the visual aid to the imperatives, and and, and we know how to do it from, from that great visual. You know, Michael and Ken, as you were talking, I've been thinking about my own life and even in the last few days, how I've insisted on being right about something, you know, mm. and Jesus, I mean, you know, it couldn't, it couldn't be any more clear. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. He set that aside. He did. And, and always, you know, it seems remarkable to me how little he defended himself mm -hmm. and he lets people say these terrible things about him. Uh, without even coming back and giving a defense. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a pretty tough thing to do, uh, unless you're Jesus or unless you're you know, walking really close to Jesus. Mm. Well, I hear the hammer and chisel my own life uh, mm -hmm. through our study here today. Thank you. Ken, uh, Michael Ken is going to join us again next week, and we'll continue this conversation about being conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, the title of Ken's book is The Work of His Hands, and that, that really says it quite well. And I would encourage uh, the listeners in the meantime between uh, this week's show and next week's show, if they can find a copy of that book, uh, to, it's, a, it's a great read. So mm -hmm. thank you, Ken. Thank you so much. I'll look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah. Well, Ken, as we say goodbye to you this week, I'd like to take us back to that first passage in Jeremiah where it talks about the potter and the clay, because, Michael, we're going to ask you to sing for us now a song that picks up on that very image, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Ken, thank you, and here's Michael Card in the studio. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way, thou art the potter. And I am the clay Mold me and make 
thine own way. Search me and try me, Master, today. Wider than snow, Lord, wash me just now. some good music and heard some great insights today in the studio with Michael Card. This marks the halfway point of the broadcast, but before we take a break, I want to remind you that the new edition of our publication called The Community Magazine is now available. Featured are personal profiles with community members and lots of behind-the-scenes interviews. There's also information in this issue about our first community retreat coming up in January 2004. Learn more about all of this when you come to michaelcard.com. There are many more great tools we've developed, like Michael's monthly e-journal called From the Study. Now, if you can't stay with us for the rest of this program or want to go back and listen to our broadcast again, go to our radio page for the audio archive. CD copies or printed transcripts of this or any in the studio program are available to order. And don't forget to look into Michael's newest book and album on the emotional life of Simon Peter titled A Fragile Stone. There's so much more to access at michaelcard.com. And then please take a moment and send us your thoughts about this program. Send them to inthestudio at michaelcard.com. There's much more waiting for you in the second half of today's program right here on the Moody Broadcasting Network. We are in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. Welcome back to the second half of our program. Not only are we in the studio in Franklin, Tennessee, but we're going to switch to our remote studio, I guess we could say, Michael, mm-hmm. in New York City and talk with Makoto Fujimura here in just a moment. As we, uh, Just before we say hello to Mako, though, I, I want to uh, point out that we have a wonderful email that came from a listener talking about uh, when Makoto was on with us the first time, I believe, that we talked with him. Mm-hmm. We talked about the life of Vincent Van Gogh, mm-hmm. and this listener really appreciated that conversation. This listener said, says, I'm an artist as well and had been experiencing painter's block. Since the program, I've been back to painting. I just want to thank you and our Savior for you and your program. Mm. So thank you for that note, Allison. We appreciate that very much. Mm. We have Makoto on the phone. Makoto, have you ever, ever experienced painter's block? <laughs> you know, I, that's an interesting question. I, I have so many things I want to do with my work that uh, and I, I have not. Uh, there, there's, wow. <laughs> there's always another project waiting. <laughs> I have too many ideas. Maybe you would wish for it once in a while. (laughs) Makoto, welcome back to our program today. Last week we talked about uh, your choice of a great artist to appreciate uh, the gift that God had given that artist, and you've chosen Mm -hmm. another person for us this week. Yes, uh, this one was at the Phillips Collection in Washington, D.C. The artist's name is Marsden Hartley, um, and uh, he's a 20th century artist. uh, born in 1877, Phillips Collection is this wonderful little space in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, they're renovating right now, but uh, many of the pieces there are world-class uh, art pieces. And this man is a believer as well? Well, I am not so sure whether he was a Christian, although um, what's interesting about this exhibit, it's a retrospective. Now, Marsden Hardy was uh, one of those artists who uh, traveled a lot. He was influenced by both in the 20th century abstraction. Um, he experimented a lot, but he came back later in life in a very classical way of painting, representational portraits, and there, is a, there was a room um, at this exhibit where it's, it's uh, literally a, um, a, a set up in, in, in a uh, memorial to this family that he had uh, stayed with in Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. He was a New York artist, but um, he traveled uh, to Nova Scotia when, when he became uh, destitute uh, mm. during the Depression. And he went up um, and spent time <clears throat> with this uh, family of fishermen. Um, and they had this uh, tragic thing happen uh, where their sons were out fishing and they, uh, they um, died. 
and he set up this memorial exhibit. Um, and in this exhibit, uh, it, it, well, I went in and uh, I, I was uh, stunned because this was really uh, like entering a church. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a painting called Fisherman's Last Supper at the center of this, mm-hmm. where the family is depicted uh, just like Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper, mm-hmm. you know, sitting across um, in front of a window uh, in which uh, describes this ocean scene with boats. Um, and, and this was a uh, memorial to the, these sons um, who, uh, who were killed by the hurricane. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the entire exhibit points to this, this reality that Hardy was very interested in spiritual things. I do not know if he was a believer, but he was certainly, uh, his art was a spiritual offering. And, of course, the uh, museum catalog does not <laughs> talk about it in that way. Mm-hmm. But uh, for me, it was very obvious. Makoto, uh, as you said, the exhibit is now finished there in Washington, D.C. We do want right. to play some information about it, though, on our website, michaelcard.com. Yeah. Yeah. We, we also, and thank you for helping us see this great art and introduce us to great mm-hmm. art. Uh, Michael, that's an important part of our and, conversation. And make us want to go and, and, and experience it for ourselves. But, uh, Michael, uh, yeah. talk about the resources on your own website yes. and this website mm-hmm. that our listeners can avail themselves of. Yes, many of the artists that I uh, talk about will be discussed in our lecture series on uh, I Am, which is an organization for uh, the arts. Um, I, it, it, the website is www.iamny.org. And there, uh, we'll put some links to these um, sites, other sites, Good. a museum, uh, philipscollection.org is a site that you can go to to uh, see Hartley's paintings, and, uh, of course, Guggenheim. Uh, and my own site is makotofujimura.com, no space, that's M-A-K-O-T-O-F. U-J-I-M-U-R-A. And don't worry, we'll put links to all of okay. these at michaelcard.com. That's the address most of our listeners are familiar with. So, yes. And you were telling us before that you have some very interesting lectures uh, by people like Tim Keller on your yes. site. Um, we've done a series of what we call cultural renewal lectures, and uh, we've tackled The Matrix uh, as a movie. Um, Reed Shushart, who's an uh, expert on media ecology, there's a new field, uh, mm. and, um, and he's, he's a believer. Uh, talking about The Matrix, uh, Dr. Timothy Ketter, the uh, head pastor of Redeemer Church here in New York City, has uh, given us a lecture on J.R. Tolkien, the significance of J.R. Tolkien. Mm. And uh, those are available on the IAMNY.org uh, site. Makoto, in the couple of moments we have left, I'd just like for you to maybe challenge us a little bit to, mm-hmm. to get out there and to mm-hmm. discover great art and to... Uh, you know, it just yeah. in a way that builds our faith. Uh, what would yeah. you say about that? Yeah. Well, you can certainly go see, uh, although the Phillips collection is over, Martin Hardy is everywhere. Uh, his, his work is in most of the museums in the United States, and uh, so is Malevich, uh, the artist I talked about. But, you know, what I do before I go to a museum is I pray. Um, I pray that God would open my eyes to see what he sees. Mm. And, and, and the assumption there is that Christ is there already uh, when artists painted these paintings. Uh, the artist may not have been aware of that, uh, mm-hmm. but, but we can see that. Um, and and my, it's my, been my experience that uh, everywhere I go, whether it be in Japan or U.S. or um, wherever, um, when I ask God to uh, open my eyes to see uh, what he's done, uh, how he's present in these works, uh, he, he will. And, mm-hmm. and there are remarkable stories that's not written in catalogs or, uh, you know, in uh, museum descriptions that you can actually uh, find um, and uh, discover. Mm. Michael, um, what would you think? Could we pray right now with uh, Makoto? Makoto, would you mind leading us in prayer that, sure. that we would have these these eyes of faith as we walk into an art gallery or a museum sometime yes. soon? Yes, yes. Let me do that. Father, we do thank you that you are present in uh, all places, uh, especially artist studios, um, 
creative people uh, tapped into uh, your creativity, whether they understand that or not, and help us, uh, Lord, as believers uh, who know you, to be open to that dialogue. Uh, help us to ask good questions uh, to artists around us, creative people that um, sometimes uh, are hard to uh, get to know. Uh, they, they have different uh, matrix that uh, they are working on. But, um, Lord, uh, because we need to tap into that creativity, uh, because we need that language to speak to a culture about you, um, help us to uh, understand uh, their works, uh, understand their lives, and help us to minister and uh, to take us out into museums and cultural places uh, this fall uh, to do that. Mm. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, thanks again, uh, Makoto, for yes. uh, opening your studio up to us and opening your heart Absolutely. up to us as well. Yes. Delighted to. We're here in the studio with a new friend, uh, Andrew Scott, who's with OM, Operation Mobilization. And Andrew has come up from Franklin. He's based in uh, Atlanta uh, to try to connect with some of the people in the community here in Franklin to reach out uh, with the vision and the purpose of OM. And I asked him to come and talk to us. So, Andrew, it's good to have you here. Well, wonderful to be here, Michael. Yeah. It's wonderful to hear Irish spoken at me again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell us just basically about the mission and the vision of OM. Okay, well, Operation Mobilization, or OM as it's more commonly known around the world today, is a mission that started probably about, uh, well, it, not, it started back in the uh, 50s by a young man called George Verwer, uh, who's a very dynamic individual, saved through the ministry of Billy Graham hmm. in Madison Square Garden hmm. back then, and uh, just did some radical stuff. And out of, out of uh, his vision, OM was born and has grown into an organization of 3,500 missionaries working in 106 countries around the world. Uh, we have two ships. Uh, so it's, you know, from that you can tell it's a pretty radical, interesting, mm -hmm. exciting mission, I believe, anyway. I, I basically knew of OM from the ship ministry. Yeah. Uh, I know there are two huge liners, and you're about to buy a third. That's, that's correct? That's correct, yeah. yeah. I mean, most people, actually, that have heard of OM know about the ships first and foremost mm. and are quite surprised that that's only a small part of what we do. But, yeah, one is called the doulos. That's the Greek word for bond slave or bond servant. It's uh, the oldest going passenger liner still afloat today. It's two huh. years younger than the Titanic, only slightly more successful. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one's called the logos or the, the, the Greek word, word for word. And uh, it... Uh, it is smaller. Uh, it has about 220 people on board, mm. all volunteers from the captain right down to the, the guy who cooks the food or what, cleans the laundry. You had a rear admiral from the, the Aust Australian Navy captaining one of those ships. Is that, that true? That's correct. Yeah. Very, very high uh, officer within the Australian yeah. Navy. Yeah. Well, my daughter, Katie, is, is uh, uh, right now thinking about she's 16 years old. Oh. She's seriously thinking about coming and spending some time on one of the ships uh, she has the video, and uh, we, yeah. she's praying about it. So uh, I may be handing over to you, you know, the best part of my efforts. Well, where is OM going? Uh, you, you're here in Franklin to talk to some members of the black community to get, get more interest in uh, missions mm -hmm. from the black churches. I mean, where are you going? Well, w one of the uh, things that uh, our founder had said right from the beginning uh, as an American, he didn't want OM to be an American mission. Mm. This is a long start to your, your question. but uh, So he, he moved to Europe and he did no work at all as far as raising the profile of OM in the United States. But about five years ago, uh, uh, he asked the question to the OM body as it had grown so big, do we want Americans in missions? You know, Is there a place for them outside of American missions, both for their finance and for them as people? And the resounding answer was, yes, we want mm. them and we need them. And so he, he gave the go-ahead to uh, OM in the US to lift the profile and so myself and quite a number of others were brought in to do that mm. and one of the things that I noticed in coming in not only was the, the absence of, of, uh, of uh, just Americans in general but the absence of African Americans mm -hmm. and, and that uh, concerned me a little bit and I don't say that with a critical spirit, no. I say that with a, because I, I feel we're missing something, uh, mm -hmm. they have so much to offer and uh, uh, you know 
just by being who they are and bringing that that culture in. So I'd love to explore ways, and we've had some chats today at ways of how we can uh, impact that part of the community and let them see that they have a, such a valid and vital role to play in world missions. Mm. Well, someone who's listening for the first time, who's just discovering what OM uh, is all about, what can they do if they want to find out more? I'm sure you've got a website. Yeah. And we have a website. It's simply uh, usa.om.org, uh, and they can visit that website. Uh, we have our office in Tyrone, uh, which I guess they can get all those details off the website. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, our phone number there is is seven seven zero six three one zero four three two, and and they can they can call us and and uh, they can even ask for me and I can help them. But just uh, an opportunity to find out where we work, talk to us, and see if there's some way that we can serve them, help them along the path. We're committed to helping people find where God wants them in missions today, and that mm-hmm. may not be OM. That mm-hmm. could be other mission organisations. It could be in their local church. Uh, our commitment is more to the kingdom mm. principle of finding your place in God's world. Well, I can I can say from what I know that if if you're a person out there who's just feeling called to missions, OM is a great place to come and learn where you might fit in, and then you might end up staying uh, and and working for OM, and you may uh, end up going someplace else. But if you want a chance, especially from what I know, of the ships uh, in any given uh, period of mission, you'll be in like seven or eight different countries. Yeah, I've I've, uh, I've I've been to forty different countries now in my life, but a typical mm. two-year program would take them to up to thirty different countries, wow. and uh, in that two years, they would uh, get opportunity to do some. Uh, we would do some Bible teaching, do some ministry skill training, some leadership training. Uh, every week, they're getting opportunities to go out into villages, into cities, into mm. schools, prisons, whatever, to share their faith. And so we equip them, we empower them, we envision them, and then we send them out to do it on mm. an ongoing basis. Uh, and uh, to me, it's one of I did it as a, a 19 year old and it radically changed my life. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's one of the most exciting things in missions today, mm-hmm. uh, a one or two year period on the ship. Uh, just as you say, Michael, to prepare someone to understand their gifting, understand who they are in Christ. Uh, just a, a good foundation to look ahead and say, now, God, where, where do you want me to be? Is it in one of the 30 countries I visited or is it to come back home and be a catalyst for change in my own community? Mm-hmm. Well, as as we come to the close of our time, let's pray. Um, what are the prayer requests that you would share with us for OM? I think you mentioned one already, the new ship project. We want to replace the Logos because it's too small, and uh, we want to take our that ministry to a new level of reaching every one of the million people that come up our gangways every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we want to create a ministry base on board the ship that will facilitate that. So for finance, for the personnel to man the ship when it comes about, just for... Us as an organization, especially within the ship ministry itself, as mm-hmm. we think of how we can do it better. Mm-hmm. And you're not looking for a ship. You've got the ship chosen, right? No, the new w- ship? W- not not exactly. We have a few out there that we think may suit us. Okay. But we haven't actually purchased it yet or, okay. or have one set aside. So for the right ship as well, that's another good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, for finance, for the right people to man it, and for the right uh, culture, the right the right vision for for how we interact as a community on board the ship. Mm. I think that's vital. Community is such a... uh, I mean, I I believe that God works through community and and the community on board the ship is a living uh, organism that people see Christ in. Mm. And when people come on board, they see something different. If I can just have a... When I was in China, uh, we... we, uh, I I was emceeing a particular program and my emcee was a, a, a master's... Uh, student and her degree was in uh, sociology, writing a paper on community. Hmm. And after coming aboard the ship, bear in mind we couldn't share openly. Mm-hmm. After coming aboard the ship, she said, "Andrew, how long did it take you to create community on board the ship?" And I said, "Well, you know, ever since we we formed the ship ministry, this is the way it was." And she said, "But there's something different. I have read about community. I've been taught by my professor, but I have never seen community like mm. I have seen it on board the Dulos." And I was able to share with her that Jesus is the one that creates community because he creates a oneness. Mm. And uh, and uh, she said, you know, I'm going to write about the doulos in my paper. I'm going to tell my professor. And she went away saying that this is the first time I've ever seen true community. Wow. Uh, so that's very powerful. Wow. Uh, so so pray, pray for the new ship project. I think that that is really... Also, we have a major changeover in leadership. Our George Verwer is mm. stepping down 
and Peter Maiden is coming in as our new leader. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he would value prayers as that happens this August, that God will take us to new heights and new levels with what he wants to do through us. Okay, well, I'll, I'll pray for uh, anyone listening who may uh, be sensing the Spirit drawing them to OM, uh, to explore missions. And why don't you pray for okay. uh, the, the concerns that you sure. ma- just mentioned. I'll start. Father, I, I ask that uh, the young man or the young woman that's listening, who uh, for, for perhaps a long time have been wondering if you're calling them uh, to go overseas uh, to share the love of Christ, I pray that uh, Andrew's words might have provided uh, an answer for them and that even this moment uh, there'll be someone who, who understands that part of the shape of their calling is going to be to participate in the ministry of OM. So I, I just pray for clarity and vision and uh, for the call to go out to young men and young women to follow you uh, in into the field of missions through OM. And Father, I pray for uh, th- this new project of the ship ministry. Lord, we're excited to see what you've done in the past. So many millions of people experiencing the love of Christ through the ship ministry. We ask as you have led us down this path to purchase a new ship that uh, the provision of the ship, the finance, the people, the vision will be there. Lord, as we seek to reach everyone in the million that come up the gangways, that we can do that with the love of Christ. Father, we also pray for uh, Peter Maiden as he takes over as the, the international leadership of OM. Uh, we pray, Father, for wisdom and discernment, but also for vision that he can lead this band of people that, that seek to follow you and seek to do what you want us to do. Lead us forward uh, in your will. Pray for George as he steps down from leadership but continues his ministry speaking throughout the world that you will use him to raise up many hundreds and many thousands of of people Mm. uh, to to give, to pray and to go uh, for missions. Mm. Thank you for the tremendous privilege of serving you as part of what you're doing in this world uh, through organizations and churches uh, throughout the globe. In Jesus' name. Andrew Scott from Operation Mobilization. Uh, Great. Thank you. God bless you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me, Mike. Not only was it the content of what Andrew said, Michael, but don't you wish you could say it like he says it? (laughs) It's it's beautiful to have Irish spoke at you like that. And Andrew is a wonderful brother, an incredible heart uh, for the Lord and for the mission of OM. Hmm. So I'd encourage anyone out there to check out their website. Indeed, indeed. Good job. It was interesting to listen to the two of you talk there. Well, earlier we mentioned that we have an email address. It's in the studio at michaelcard.com. For any listener who sends us a Bible question and we use that question on the air, we are pleased to be able to send back as a just a token of our gratefulness. We will send a copy of the scriptures, the New Living Translation of the Bible to you. Jeremy is going to receive a copy because he has sent us a question that I'd like for us to talk about for a couple yeah. moments here. Two, actually, two questions. Okay. Yeah. I see one. Where do you see the well, second one? Well, there's one at the top. Oh, the, I see the one about Acts. And the one at the bottom. Okay. Yeah. All right. Those well, let's, the two. let's deal with the first one about okay. Romans. He says it's historically been credited as being written by the Apostle Paul, but right. then he refers in chapter 16, verse 22 to I Tertius, right. who was writing this. Who wrote this epistle. Now, what Jeremy doesn't understand is that uh, Paul often has a scribe that helps him write his letters. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 21, uh, Colossians 4, 1, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, all have this, at, at the end, it's sort of like Paul writing in his own hand uh, greets them. So in, in Paul's genuine handwriting, they see a, a, a greeting. Okay. Uh, but what, what he needs to understand is that uh, a lot of the New Testament writers use scribes. Um, I think, yeah, and the, the Second Thessalonians 3 passage, Paul even explains, I, I, I do this so that you can know that the letter's really for me, because obviously the letter isn't in his own hand. Interestingly enough, uh, Peter uses a scribe when he writes First Peter, and uh, the the closing of First Peter five, uh, he says, "I have written this short letter to you with the help of Silas." Now, Silas was another of Paul's companions, 
And a lot of scholars argue that Second Peter is so different from First Peter that Second Peter can't be, you know, uh, legitimate, and mm-hmm. all they they try to throw Second uh, Peter out. But the difference is simply that uh, Peter has a scribe helping him write the first letter, and apparently he writes the second letter by himself. So uh, yes, Paul did write Romans, but he had a scribe that took down the dictation and wrote the letter for him. It's interesting that Tertius has the opportunity to say hello to his fellow brothers. Yeah, so Paul isn't hiding anything, and yeah. he wants people to know someone helped me with this letter. Right. Just quickly, the second question has to do with the book of Acts, Mm -hmm. Paul being thrown into prison. Jeremy is saying Paul did nothing wrong to deserve prison. Why was he in prison? Right. Well, Paul was in prison because, in in essence, he asked to be in prison. When Paul appealed to Caesar, uh, Jeremy's right, he was about to be released. But Paul appealed to Caesar. And because Paul is a Roman citizen, had the right to ultimately have his case heard before, before in Rome, before Caesar. And that's what eventually led Paul to go to Rome. Um, so it was Paul's own, own uh, fault, uh, so to speak. I mean, Paul wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to preach the gospel in Rome. But he appealed to Caesar. And uh, uh, what the, the official says is, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you will go. So Paul takes that long and dangerous journey to Rome with where he's almost killed. And uh, we, we never see Paul appe- uh, appearing before Caesar or not. Uh, that, you know, Acts leaves us uh, in suspense. Uh, but we believe that he was condemned and was beheaded. Uh, Jeremy, thanks for your questions. And Michael, thank you. You have been listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. For more information about Marsden Harley, the artist Makoto spotlighted earlier today, go to our radio page at www.michaelcard.com. Online, you can check out more about our feature called The Community, also the coming community retreat, and much more of Michael's music and teaching. Again, join us online anytime at michaelcard.com. And then please take a moment and send us your thoughts about this program. We'd appreciate reading your comments, Bible questions, and prayer requests. Just as we did with Jeremy's question today, we'll ask Michael to answer more of these questions in the future. Send them to inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Our program producer is Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Card. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.